guys, thanks so much for being here at the Salt Company kickoff, for parking up the road, for uh, squeezing tight in here. It's hot, but we're happy to be here. Am I right? Yeah. Guys, I'm, I'm curious uh, who's here tonight. Let me hear you. Have, uh, who has been to Salt Company before? Let me hear you. Okay. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome back. If this is your first time ever at Salt Company, let me hear you. Come on. Oh, yes. Guys, welcome to Salt Company, if, if we haven't met. Uh, my name is Zach. I am the director here uh, at the best Salt Company in the world, the best university in the world. Am I right? Go green. <laughs> Let's go. Go Spartans. I love Jesus. I love this university, best place in the world. Hey, there's one more group of people that I want to welcome to Salt Company uh, tonight. Uh, you can spot their lanyards from a mile away. Can we welcome the class of 2026 to Salt Company? Let's go, baby. Yes. Hey, welcome. Welcome to Salt. Welcome to college. Uh, it is going to be a great four years of your life or six years, right, Brent Cohen? Let's go, baby. Run it back. No, seriously, I hope it's a great Great four years, great couple of days so far, full of uh, memories and friendships and experiences and, and really some life-changing moments. As I think about college, I think of a lot of just life-changing moments, moments that happen in college that change the course of your like college career, but also your life. Upperclassmen, can you think of some moments that may have changed your life forever? Okay, maybe for you freshmen in the room, Okay, when you skip your first college class and realize that nobody cares, that's gonna be a life-changing moment for you. Okay, Raising Cane's is coming to East Lansing, baby, okay? And uh, hey, man, if you haven't had Raising Cane's, that first bite is a life-changing moment. It's, it's the sauce, man, okay? Uh, your first Cata bus ride, life-changing experience, okay? Odds are, odds are in your college career, there's gonna be one epic football game that's gonna stick with you forever. I only went to one game last year, and it was the Nebraska game. Okay, punt return for the win. Uh, best ending to the worst game I've ever seen, but hey, we got the win. Okay, maybe for you, a life-changing moment is going to be when you uh, meet with your advisor, that conversation to change your major, it's going to change your life. It's been two days. Uh, by show of hands, has anybody already changed their major? Anybody? Let's go, Andrew. Has anybody in their college career changed their major over five times? Anybody? No way. What are you doing with your life? Life-changing moments, those conversations with advisor. Maybe for you, you're going to take the risk and you're going to actually talk to the cute girl sitting next to you at OCAM, okay? And, and uh, instead of getting her Snapchat, you're actually going to talk to her, right? Ladies, let's do it. Okay, life-changing moment for you. One life-changing moment after another. One night, okay, one weekend can change your life forever, for the better or for the worse. I can remember my time in college full of these life-changing moments, okay, when I uh, got invited into a community like this, changed my life forever. I remember sitting in cost accounting. Do we have any accountants in the room, accounting majors? This does not go well for you here. Uh, I remember sitting in cost accounting with uh, Professor Caldwell and just like wanting to claw my eyes out because uh, like accounting is so boring. I legit left that classroom, went straight to the advisor and changed my degree plan. Uh, <laughs> A lot of life-changing moments, but I'll never forget, I'll never forget I, the one text message I got from a girl that changed my life forever. I'll tell you the story. I promise this is going somewhere. So I'm a, I'm a senior in college, and I was single at the time, okay? I had dated a couple girls in college. It didn't go well, uh, obviously. And uh, I remember praying, Lord, 
let the next girl I date like be my wife. I'm done chasing. Okay, I trust you. Like, let's do it. Okay. And so, anyways, fast forward. It's like November. It's a Monday, uh, and I get a text message from a girl. I'm sitting up at the church. I was working part time, <laughs> and I get this text message, and it said something to the effect of, "Hey, Zach, this is Mally. Uh, I got your phone number from so and so. So, so yesterday at church, I left my sweatshirt at the church. Can I come get it?" Okay, and so I get this text message. Okay, so Mally and I, we were uh, both leaders in this college ministry. Uh, we didn't know each other very well, uh, but I thought she was cute. Okay, and so she's coming to the, the church. I'm thinking, man, should I shoot my shot here? And then I started talking myself out of it, like, dude, it's just a text message. Don't be weird. And so anyways, <laughs> but listen, 20 minutes goes by. My phone starts ringing, okay? And I'm looking up like, Lord, here we go. She's calling me. And so I take the phone call, and this is what it says. No joke, verbatim. I'm pretty sure this is what she said. She said, Zach, this is Mally, obviously. Um, this is totally weird, but I was on my way to the church and I stopped to get gas and my car battery died at the gas station. I called my dad, I called my boss, I called all of my friends and no one is able to come help me. Can you come help me? You're my only hope. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And so guys, at this point, the phone is behind me. I'm sprinting out the door. <laughs> Sweatshirt in hand. And so, guys, here's the deal. So I'm driving, like, I am the knight in shining armor going to this gas station, pump seven. And here's the thing. <laughs> but guys, here's the thing. I had only jumped the car battery twice in my life, tried, and I only got it done once. And so there's a 50-50 shot this works. And so I'm driving, no joke, watching a YouTube video on how to do this. I pull into the gas station, and there she is, okay? And I, I like, toss the sweatshirt at her. I say something flirty, and I go... And by the grace of God, let me tell you, that car battery started. And, uh, and uh, three months later, we were engaged. And, and seven months later, we were married. And three weeks ago, we had our very first baby girl, Elliot Joy. Let's go, baby. Well, <laughs> I feel bad. I feel bad. I should have got a picture and, and been that guy that did that, but I forgot. So anyways, the point of that story is this. One text message, one car battery one night could change your life forever. I mean, you could meet someone tonight and be married by spring break, man. They could... The point is this. The... Some of you are looking around. That's a joke. It's a joke. I was older. Here's the point. Here's the point. Why do I tell you that story? Why do I start here? One conversation could change your whole life because tonight, here's what I want to do. Simple question. I want to try to answer the question, what is Salt Company? What, what are we doing here? Why, why are there so many people in this room, packed in, really tight? Why chase a Sasquatch? Why uh, wrestle in pancake batter? What are these people doing? Well, I think the best way to answer that question is to show you a story in the Bible of a woman who had a life-changing experience with Jesus. Okay, a story in the Bible where this girl who met Jesus had a life-changing moment and it changed her life forever. And it's the story that changed my life forever. It changed the story of many people in this room. And my hope is that it would change your, your life as well. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that or a phone. We're going to be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, as we all once were, uh, John is about 75% through the Bible. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you found John. I, uh, I want to read a quick story with you guys between Jesus and this woman here in John 4. I'm going to read a little bit, okay? I'm going to provide some context, some color along the way. Uh, and then I want to take a step back, and I want to ask the question, what does this story have to do with us about 2,000 years later? Sound good? 
Okay, John 4. So a uh, bit of background here. Jesus has just started his ministry. Okay, he's got his disciples. He's walking around. He's teaching. He's performing miracles. And it's gotten to the point where Jesus is tired. He sends his disciples off to get food. So he's alone. He's tired. And that's where we're picking up in John 4. Look at verse 3. It says this, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And John adds it, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so let me paint a picture for you real fast because a lot of just seemingly random things just happened here. So Jesus, he's at some random place, some random well, and you got this random woman that comes up and then they begin having some random conversation about water. But, but what's really going on here? I wanna show you, there's actually, there's actually something deeper to the conversation that I wanna show you. So first of all, Jesus is tired uh, and he's thirsty, okay? Yes, he is fully God, but he's also fully man, okay? He's been walking a lot, okay? Like some of you on campus today and yesterday and, and he ain't got no scooter to ride on. And so he's tired, he's weary from his journey. And, it, and it's interesting, <laughs> it says he leaves Judea He's going to Galilee, but, but look, what, well, look what John says in verse four. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Okay, now, now that seems random, Samaria, big whoop. Okay, Bible town that nobody knows. Like, what's the big deal about Samaria? Samaria? Well, here's the deal. Jews back then, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't dance with each other, okay? They hated each other. Okay, more than Michigan State hates Michigan, okay? More than Chris Rock and Will Smith hate each other. The Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. They didn't talk to each other. They didn't walk with each other. They did not share water, okay? Long story short, the Samaritans used to be pure Jews, but then the Assyrians captured them. They slept with the Assyrians, had babies, perverted the Jewish faith, and, and the Jews hated them for it. They, they called them half-breeds, okay, traitors. Okay, they hated the Samaritans so much that they would not step foot in Samaria. Now, why is that important? Well, look at verse four. John's, John's doing something. He says this, but Jesus had to go through there. Now, what's that mean? No, no. Well, he didn't have to go through there, but he had to go through there. He chose to go through there. You see, Jesus was willing to go to a place that no one was willing to go. This isn't a random place, Samaria. It's not some random, well, Jesus wanted to go there. He was on a mission to that well. It's not a random place and it's not a random woman coming up either. So you got Jesus sitting on a well and verse seven, look at what it says. Look who rolls up. It says a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, at this point in the story, we don't know much about this woman. Okay, we know she's a Samaritan and she's coming to draw water. Okay, obviously back then they did not have running water. Okay, so the women would go and they would carry a bucket, a water pot, about half a mile out of the city, and they would get water and bring it back to like bathe and clean and cook and stuff. And so that's, that's pretty much all we see on the surface level about this woman. But there are two clues that let us know a little bit more about who this woman is, and it's who she's with and what time of day she goes. Okay, we, we read back in verse six that it was the sixth hour 
okay, which meant it was noon, okay, high noon, with some Middle Eastern hot sun beating down on her. Here's the deal. The women didn't go to the well at noon. They went at sunrise or sunset. Okay, this was physical labor, okay? Doing all this stuff, lowering about 100 feet into the ground, carrying the water back. You don't do that kind of labor at, at noon. And yet, why is this woman at the well at noon? And second, why is she alone? Why is she by herself? You see, the women back then, they, they traveled in packs. It was a social thing and protection to travel with other women. And yet, our girl's alone and she's there at noon. Why is she there at noon alone? What's obvious here, that this woman is an outcast. Okay, she's alone because she's not wanting to be seen or she's not wanted to be seen. She's an outcast. It's not just the Jews that hated her, it was her own people. And so she's going and it's, it's more than water pots that she's carrying to the well, she's carrying baggage. Some sort of uh, relational, baggage. We actually get a hint later that she's carrying some sexual relational baggage with her. She's an outcast, hated by her own people. And so this woman, she's not random. She comes to the well and she's alone and she's ashamed and she's an outcast and she's thirsty. And she's coming to the well just to survive. And just a side note here, I'm wondering, I wonder if there's some people who can relate. People who feel ashamed, alone, by themselves, doing things that I'm like, dude, I haven't told anybody the things that I've done. You carry some sort of secret with you that you can relate to this woman. Like, dude, I, you feel weird coming into a church building. Like, bro, if they even knew what I've done, they wouldn't even let me in here. If that's you, perhaps there's some people like that in the room tonight. Well, if that's you, you ought to pay attention. How does Jesus interact with someone like that? Let's keep reading. So Jesus sitting on the well, the woman comes up, the scene is set. And then Jesus, in verse 7, is going to initiate uh, a fun convo. Look at what it says. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to buy food. But the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And so Jesus butts into this woman's life. She's minding her own business. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, give me a drink. And this throws the woman for a loop, okay? When Jesus says this, he jumps over about three pretty big cultural barriers, okay? Man talking to a woman, Jew talking to a Samaritan, moral rabbi talking to an immoral outcast. Jesus does not give a rip about that. And so he says, give me a drink. And, and basically the woman's like, who are you to asking me? Like, who do you think you are? And, and do you know who I am? But look at what Jesus says. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so Jesus turns to the woman and he makes a pretty wild claim here. He says, girl, if you knew who I was, it wouldn't be me asking you for a drink, you'd been asking me and I'd give you water that's alive. And so the woman naturally here is confused as all heck. She's like, what are you talking about? You have no bucket. Where are you gonna get this water from? And then she engages in like some religious smack talk. She says, so do you think you're, you're better than our father Jacob? You know, he gave us, the Samaritans, the well. And then Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't back down. And she's not picking up what Jesus is putting down, but Jesus doubles down. Look at what he says in verse 13. Look at what it says. Jesus said to her, 
Everyone who drinks of this water is gonna be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Jesus says, hey, hey, this water, you're gonna get it, you're gonna drink it, and you're gonna be thirsty again. But you drink of the water I give you, you're, you're never gonna thirst again. Okay, which again, if you don't understand what Jesus is doing here, that's a pretty weird statement, okay? It's like you're walking in a mire to get some food, and like as you're walking in, there's like a homeless guy right here like, oh, you're gonna get some food? Dude, I got some food. And if you drink of the food, if you eat the food I give you, you're never gonna hunger again. It's like, I'm calling the cops, man. What are you doing? But it's weird. And, Jesus, and, and the woman doesn't understand. It's a pretty wild claim from Jesus here. But he's actually making it really clear. He's going deeper than what she thinks. Here in verse 13, he's actually being pretty clear in hindsight. He's like, yo, I, I ain't talking about this water. I'm talking about different water. I'm not talking about water for the body. I'm talking about water for the soul. I'm not talking about physical thirst. I'm talking about spiritual thirst, soul level thirst. Jesus is using a physical picture to describe a spiritual reality. But, but the woman doesn't get it. She, she responds. She's like, uh, yes, like no more coming here. Give me this water. I don't got to come at high noon and carry this and, and all those things. Like, yes, give me the water. And it's at that moment that Jesus is going to do something here that feels random. It feels out of left field. Look at what he says. It's interesting. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Like, what does that have to do with water? It's interesting. Look at what it says. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman says this, verse 17, I ain't got no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you're with now, he's not your husband. What you said is true. Okay, what just happened here? Did Jesus just absolutely roast this woman? Like, what is he talking about? Like, yeah, you ain't got a husband. You've had five behind you and the one in your bed now ain't even your husband. Like, Jesus, what are you doing here? Is Jesus being a jerk? Why did he ask her, go get your husband? What is he doing? It seems random, but it's actually here that we begin to see the true condition of this woman's heart. You see, Jesus isn't being a jerk here in the change of conversation. It's not a change of conversation. He's going deeper. He knows something about this woman. You see, she wasn't just thirsty for water. She was thirsty. She's thirsty. She's desperate. She was thirsty for approval, maybe security, maybe for sexual relationship. Her hope for satisfaction in her life and meaning in life, it was coming from these men. She's like, hey, if it, it doesn't matter if everyone else abandons me. If I can just have one dude who will validate my life, I'll feel satisfied. And whether she left them or he left her, or they all died, regardless, she goes from one man to the next man, to the next guy, trying to find something in these dudes that will satisfy the longing of her heart. You see, Jesus, he's not being a jerk at the well He's just pointing to her other well that she's drawing water from. And he's telling her, hey, those things aren't going to work. It's not going to satisfy your heart. She's not being a jerk. It's through confronting the one thing that she's hiding and her brokenness and her shame. That's where Jesus can provide true healing and true life and true freedom. And so take a step back. This is the life-changing moment between Jesus and the woman that I want to highlight 
for us tonight because there's a reason this story makes the Bible. Like, why does that story make the Bible? It's the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and any other person. Like, John, why does that make the Bible? What's the big deal? Well, the reason why I think this story is so important is because in a very real way, her story is our story. The story of the woman at the well is the story of you and I. The heart that we see in this woman is the same heart that's in all of us. What do I mean by that? Well, I wanna show you three quick things that I think are true about this woman that are also true about us. And I don't even know half the people in this room, but I don't need to know it to know that these three things are true about you. It's the human experience. The first thing is this, just like the woman, we're all thirsty. All of us in this room are thirsty. He's thirsty, she thirsty, we're all thirsty. Thirsty for something, okay? All of us in here, just like the woman, you may not be a Samaritan woman, thirsty for men in relationships, but all of us in here are born thirsty. Here at Salt Company, we believe that all of us were created with a hunger, okay? A desire for something more, a desire for life, a desire for happiness, a desire for joy. We're all born with a thirst for joy. All of us are born. God has placed eternity in our hearts. We have a longing. Every one of us are thirsty for something, You see this well, it represented something much deeper in the woman. Okay, this constant going back to the well to draw water represents her heart, looking for someone or something to satisfy her. And you and I are the same. You see, the question is not, are you drinking from another well? The question is this, what well are you drinking from? Because all of us are thirsty and all of us are looking for water somewhere. Where are you going to quench your thirst? Or in other words, what well are you running to? You see, there's a lot of different places that humans will go to find joy and satisfaction. I'll, I'll list a few of them. The first, maybe for you, like the woman, it was in relationships. Okay, some of you in the room are like, bro, if I could be married by 30, I would be happy forever. Some of you are like, man, if I could just have a date by 30, I'm gonna be happy and fulfilled. Okay, but maybe for you, it's not relationships, but it's sexual experience and pleasure and you're racking up some body count and hoping that whatever experience is gonna satisfy your heart. Okay, maybe for you it's not relationships, but it's some level of like new experiences. Travel the world. Like if I just go to these places, this dream location, if I just skydive or mountain climb, then I'm gonna feel satisfied. Okay, maybe for you it's friendships. Like if I can just position myself in the right social circle, I will have peace. I will have joy. Okay, maybe for you it's success. Okay, you want to graduate with that four point and show all those losers from high school who the boss is now, like, look at me, Bob. I'm the, I'm the winner now. Look at me. I'm successful. Maybe for you, it's, it's like what I chased and it's money and possessions. Okay, I, I grew up my whole life chasing some sort of perverted American dream, thinking that if I could just have enough money and a hot wife and some kids, I'd be happy, I'd be satisfied. Okay, maybe for you it's influence and power. Like if I just have enough followers in this world, okay, enough control over my life, I'll be satisfied. Okay, maybe for you it's good looks, athleticism, grades, performance, the approval of your parents. What's the well that you run to? But maybe for you it's not any of those things. Okay, maybe for you it's not sex, money, drugs, alcohol or experiences, 
But no, you grew up in the church and it's morality. It's doing good things. And you think somehow if you do enough good works in this life, if you say the right things, look the right way and you come to church enough times, you'll earn the Father's love and somehow you'll find what you're looking for. But listen, dude, I grew up in the church. I played that game and it's exhausting. Cold religion is not gonna save you. It's not gonna satisfy your heart. What well are you running to? Because here's the deal. All of us are born with a thirst, but nothing in this world can satisfy us. Because just like the woman, we're all thirsty. And just like the woman, we've settled for the world. All of us have settled. Made for more, but settled for less. That's what it means to, be set, to settle. To lower your standard and pursue something that's below you. Made for more, but settled for less. This woman had a hole in her heart and she settled for men. It's not gonna fill the hole. All of us have settled for the things of the world. Okay, we've settled for Lake Lansing instead of Lake Michigan. Okay, we, you settle for ramen noodles instead of steak. Spiritually speaking, you settle for Jim Harbaugh instead of Mel Tucker. We've all settled. You settle for the world. You were made for more, but you settle for the things of the world. But the point is, just like the woman went to the men over and over again, it's not gonna satisfy your heart. Nothing in this world will satisfy you. She settled for men and we settle all the, all the time. You see, here's the reality. Sex, money, friendship, like performance, those aren't bad things. They're just not good enough to be ultimate things. We turn good things into God things and those things can't hold up the weight of your life. And pursuing those things is not living it up, it's settling for less. This is what we do, we settle. And not only that, but the more you settle, the deeper you have to go. Think about a well. Okay, in order to continue to draw water from a well, you have to go deeper and deeper every time. This is kind of random. You guys have memories from when you were like five or six that like for whatever odd reason stick with you? You guys have some of those memories? Like it's super vivid. Like it's, it's, I don't have a lot of them, but I do, I do have one that just keeps coming up. So I'm like five or six years old and my twin brother Cole and I are in the front yard. And... Uh, <laughs> It's like crazy vivid for me. Um, later that day, it's like in the morning. Later that day, there's gonna be a birthday party with all the cool kids at McDonald's, okay? And uh, do we have any McDonald's fans in the house? Anybody? Big Mac, let's go, Andrew. Dude, you're a runner. You should not be eating McDonald's. Um, anyways, all the cool six-year-olds have their birthday parties at McDonald's. And so my brother and I, we're in the front yard. We're growing impatient. And my brother, he comes to me and he says, he says, dude, let's grab that shovel and dig a tunnel to McDonald's. And I'm like, I look at him, I'm shaking my head like, you are a genius. And so I'm not lying. We grab a shovel and we start digging a tunnel to McDonald's. <laughs> and so Cole starts digging and he's digging and, and it's like, are we there yet? And he's, nope. And so he hands me the shovel and then we're digging and digging. And it's like, are we there yet? Nope. And deeper and deeper because there was nothing more I wanted in life than McDonald's, a happy meal from McDonald's. And so, so we're digging this hole and I'm like, dude, we can smell it coming for the dirt. And, uh, so, long story short, I think this is the reason why it's still stuck in my brain. So anyways, we get impatient. We dig like a foot, which is actually pretty deep for like six-year-olds. And, uh, and so we start picking up rocks and throwing them at cars as they drive by. Listen, so much so that cops get called. They come to our house, knock on the door, and my parents are so ticked about the hole that they let the cops take me, not Cole, me, on a joyride in the car like I'm going to jail. And uh, it's like, I'm not kidding. It's like traumatic. This is why I remember it. And so... 
no, no, no. The point is this. Why do, I, why do I share that story? Well, I know what you're thinking. How stupid is it to believe that a couple six-year-olds could dig a tunnel to McDonald's? It's like, dude, the six-year-old imagination is trippy. But, um, but how silly is it? That's the silliest thing in the world. It's impossible for six-year-olds to dig a tunnel to McDonald's. Now, here's why I say that. It's just as silly to think that you can find life in the things of the world. You know, we're digging for a happy meal and it's just as silly to dig into the ground and all these things and think you can find life there, capital L life. You can't find it. It's not found in the dirt. You're looking for something in the dirt that doesn't belong there. You've settled for the world. And just like us, having to dig deeper, are we there yet? Dig deeper, are we there yet? Nope, keep digging. You have to dig deeper, deeper. Am I satisfied yet with this? Nope. Am I satisfied here? Nope. And you're like Shia LaBeouf. You're just digging holes and holes, thinking that maybe this hole will satisfy me, or maybe this one. And you dig deeper and deeper, and you'll slide deeper and deeper into the addiction that you have, and deeper and deeper into the toxic relationship you keep going back to, and deeper up the career ladder, and deeper into enslavement to money. You'll go deeper. One more click, one more friendship, one more guy, only to realize that the Happy Meal, it's not found in the dirt. True life is not found in the ground. It's found somewhere else. And you'll go deeper into these things and it always leaves you feeling two things, empty and ashamed. Empty on the things of the world because it didn't satisfy your heart and ashamed because you thought it would. All of us, the human experience, everyone's born with a shovel, a bucket and a thirsty heart looking for something to satisfy us. And so what do you do in that moment? When you're empty, you're ashamed and you're exhausted from digging. What do you do? What's the solution? Well, the solution is this. Jesus comes and he meets you at the well, just like the woman. And Jesus makes the same offer he made to her, to you. Like he says in verse 13, this is what he says. Everyone who drinks of that water, you're gonna be thirsty again. But if you come to me, you're never gonna thirst again. Jesus comes. Or in other words, just like the woman, we can find life in Jesus. True happiness, true satisfaction, true life. Capital L life is only found in Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. I am what you're looking for. This is what Salt Company is about. We're a bunch of thirsty people who have settled for the world only to realize that life is only found in Jesus. He's better. We've seen him at our well and we see him and he's captivated us. It's way better. And once you see Jesus, everything else turns gray. It's so colorful. And the things of the world start turning more gray and gray. We've settled for the world and doesn't work, but we have found the one that we're looking for. It's Jesus, true life, permanent joy forever. The thing that you were made for is found in Jesus. He's infinitely better. He can actually hold up the weight of your entire life. You see this woman, she went to the well just to survive, but Jesus went to the well because he wanted her to live. True life. And some of you in here, you've just been surviving for 18 years, 20 years. You've just been surviving. One weekend to the next, one high to the next, one game day to the next, one relationship to the next, just trying to get by. But the, the message you gotta hear from me tonight is you were made for more. Don't settle for less. You were made more than just to exist. You were made to find life in Jesus. 
You see, this woman, what is crazy, she went to the well looking for water, but Jesus pursued her. He went to the well looking for her. And her response is crazy. She, she is so excited about Jesus that she runs into town and it says this, that she leaves her water pot behind. And that's significant. She runs into the town, and she leaves it. She is so captivated by Jesus that she forgets her water pot. And that water pot, man, it, it symbolized everything about her. Her identity, her shame, all of her mistakes are wrapped up in that water pot. But when she sees Jesus, she leaves it behind. Some of you in here need to leave your water pot behind and come to Jesus. He's the only thing that will satisfy your heart. I wanna end like this. Okay, Zach, cool, but what's the big deal? Jesus, living water, he's better than the world. You keep saying he's better, but what makes him so good? You keep saying he's better than the world, but why is he so good? What's so special about Jesus? That's a good question. You see, the reason that Jesus can make such a big claim in John 4 is because the story of John 4, it doesn't end in John 4. You see, Jesus, he looks at this woman, he says, hey, your shame, your guilt, I've come to deal with that. Don't you worry, I got you covered. See, Jesus came to deal with her shame and he also came to deal with ours. And a couple of years later, he's gonna come and do something to take care of it. You see, the story of the Bible is that all of us are born broken. We're born sinners. All of us have rebelled against God. Okay, we've all dug other wells and forsaken the God of the universe. We've treasured the creation, his stuff, over the creator, the one who gave it to us. And because of that, the cost of our rebellion is high, so high that you can't pay it back. Okay, our debt against God is more than all the student debt in this room and the world combined. So much so you can't pay it back. There's not enough money in the world to, be, to give away. There's not enough Sundays in the school year to go to church. There's not enough books of the Bible for you to read it and pay back that debt. The cost of our rebellion is high. But the scandal of the Bible is that God did not abandon us. That's why Jesus is here. He came to do something about it. You see, Jesus, he didn't just come to give living water, he came to be living water. You see, Jesus came, the divine one became dirty. The majestic one became a man. Jesus became a thirsty man to satisfy thirsty men and to pay their debt. You see, Jesus, we believe, lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never dug wells into the world. He always found satisfaction in Jesus. And yet, he dies on a Roman torture device that we call a cross and that people wear around their neck. And we believe three days later, he got up from the dead. And in doing so, defeated death, defeated sin, and secured eternal life forever in him. You see, Jesus drank the cup of wrath, so we might drink the cup of living water. Jesus emptied himself so we might be filled. That's the story of the gospel. See, it doesn't matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are, you need it. All of us need living water. You're not beyond the need of God's grace and you're not beyond the reach of it. You're not so good that you don't need it and you're not so bad that you can't have it. That's the story of the gospel. You see, the world's not gonna satisfy your heart and your good works, it's not gonna save your soul. But Jesus, he can do both. He can satisfy your heart and he can save your soul. That's the good news of the Bible. So some of you in this room, you think you're here at some random place because you got some random flyer from some random person on campus. But my hope tonight is that you would see that's not random. You're here on purpose. 
I don't believe in coincidence. God wants to speak to you tonight. At the beginning of your school year, the beginning of your college career, Jesus stands here even now with his hands open saying those things aren't gonna satisfy you, only I can, come to me. You know, tonight, uh, it's, it's uh, like I said, I have a three week old baby and tonight is the first sermon that she's ever heard me preach. And uh, here's the thing, it's gonna be the same message she hears from me her whole life. And it's gonna be this, don't settle, EJ, don't settle. The world's gonna tell you a way to live and, and that you should look like this and that happiness is found in all of those places. But listen to me, baby girl, don't settle. Don't settle for the things of the world, aim higher. Aim higher, aim for Jesus. And so to the one chasing the things of the world and here tonight, the message to you is the same, don't settle. To the one chasing experiences and going back to the toxic relationship, my message to you is the same, don't settle. To the one who thinks that you can earn God's love by doing good works, the message to you is this, don't settle. To the one who is thirsty, come, take the water of life without price, don't settle. Come to Jesus, he is what you're looking for and he's so much better. Let me pray for us and we'll sing.